Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Callender and back with us on the show from Remax Twin City Realty. It's Canada's number one real estate agent, Faisal Susie Wall. Hi, Faisal. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well. Uh, there's been so much in the news recently about uh, affordable housing and uh, other things that we've touched on on other shows. I couldn't help but think about you. You must be a very popular and very busy guy lately. Well, we've been on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, you know, we've come off of a fantastic uh, first couple of months or first quarter, I should even say. Um, if we recall back in uh, some of the earlier shows in November and December, the expectation was that the market will continue to increase right throughout the spring market, which we saw, you know, my prediction was that we would see a 10 to 12% increase in the calendar year for 2022. We all actually saw that 10 to 12% increase in January and February. So it was really front end loaded as far as what the appreciation was going to be. What's interesting is that by the end of February, we started seeing a little bit of a slowdown. So yes, we got that 10% surge in the market right off the bat, but then coming into March, things started really slowing down. And you know, there's many factors that started impacting why we were starting to see that slowdown. Um, we've always seen that buyer fatigue was starting to play a fairly big role in what was going on where buyers were just getting tired of uh, making these um, bidding wars and getting involved in these bidding wars and in some cases really overpaying for these homes. But there were so many other things that sort of happened all at once, which really caused buyers to pause a little bit and really reflect on what their decisions are, which I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, we want to mention, of course, if you'd like to get more information as you listen to the show, you can go online to homeshack.com or you can call Faisal at 519-624-5555. And if you want even more information, we should mention the book, uh, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker that Faisal wrote. Uh, it's available on Amazon and uh, as a real book like the one I'm holding at the moment. And of course, as an audio book as well. So is there anything else that's currently impacting the market, Puzzle? Well, what's interesting about what's impacting the market, it's not just interest rates. You know, the expectation was that interest rates are going to go up. And the market had really built that in, even though the prices were starting to increase and the expectation of interest rates were there. At first, there was a surge of buyers wanting to buy before the rate increase. But then they realized it was only a quarter percent. So that didn't really impact the market, you know, early uh, mid-February to early March. It didn't really have that impact. <clears throat> what has really impacted the market is the Russia-Ukraine situation, gas, oil prices going up. And if we look at it from a regional perspective, you know, that's all contributing to inflation. And in our region, we are accustomed to getting commuters from Milton, Mississauga, Brampton, Oakville, Burlington. Those folks that are buying the average home, let's say, you know, eight to $900,000 home, they are already purchasing at the top of their monthly allowance or monthly budget. So if you add 
50 to $60 per fill-up. So, you know, gas prices are up 32, 33% over, over February. So if you add 50 to $60 per fill-up times three times a week or two times a week, if you're a commuter, now you're looking at four to $500 more per month for commuting. So those folks are saying, okay, hang on, maybe we should be looking at closer to the GTA being Brampton, Malton, Milton, wherever it may be. Yes, the prices are going to be higher, but they're going to get home sooner. Yes, they're going to pay four, five, six, seven hundred dollars more a month on their mortgage payment, but they're going to save that perhaps on their gas payment, or you know they're not going to have to commute as much. They may go to the GO station and take take uh, transportation that way. <clears throat> so we had a bunch of things. We had interest rates. We had gas prices. We've got the Russia-Ukraine situation. We've got the stock market. So when you look at the higher end, those folks that had their money in TFSAs or they had their money in the money markets or the stock market have seen a 20 to 30% decline in their equities. That has also caused people to say, oh, hang on now. The money that I was expecting to extract to put as my down payment may not be available at this time. Lastly, there seems to be, I don't know if we want to call it a political agenda or what the agenda is, but the media is really talking about how the market is going to decline 20-25% over the year. So there's a little bit of fear-mongering going on, and I'm trying to advise my sellers especially that, yes, we're going to see a little bit of a dip. We're going to see a lull happening in the market, but it's going to be short-lived, in my opinion. It's a great opportunity for buyers but it's certainly going to be a little bit of um, difficult times for sellers who were expecting to get those higher prices in this market. Speaking specifically of the interest rates, the recent increases that the Bank of Canada brought in, how much is that going to affect like new home buyers buying power or for those who are in a variable rate mortgage, how's that going to affect their mortgage payment? On average, every quarter percent is affecting the buying power between 150 to 200 dollars. So, you know, if you're if you're up one percent, it could be as much as 800 dollars, 600 to 800 dollars a month that your payment is going to go up. So, again, you know, you've got to look at the amortization. There's a lot of other factors involved, the type of term that you take, and again, this is where a mortgage broker or your financial advisor has to play an integral role in telling you and advising you that this is what you can afford today. Just as when interest rates went down, prices went up, therefore affordability also went up, doesn't necessarily mean you were buying a better home. You were buying the same home for more money. So today, essentially, you could expect to buy the same home for probably 7 to 10% less than what you were paying for it back in February. But again, I'll reiterate that this I don't expect to last very long because we're still in a housing crisis. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit, but there's still a lack of inventory. There's still an abundance of immigration where people don't have homes to live in. So this will all play out in the marketplace at some point. We can pause right now, but at the same time, expect to see a surge in the market later on in the year. Now, in past shows, I've asked you, I've asked you more than once if you think that we'd ever go towards a system where we, uh, we get rid of blind bidding, that there will be no more blind bidding. And now with the recent government announcements, it kind of looks like that's where we're <coughs> heading. What, what's, what's your views on that, Faisal? 
Well, we're, we're certainly seeing the legislation being changed as we speak. And that was one of the government promises, liberal government promises, uh, that that would be transparent bidding would start playing a factor into the uh, housing market here. It's interesting because what they're saying is not that they're banning blind bidding. They're saying that they're going to give the seller the option that if they want to expose what the value that they've received on their on their offer is, then that's fine. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. They haven't given us enough details to say, but let's just say if it's transparent bidding, essentially, David, you're going to know what your competitor or your competing offer is bidding on that home. So is that a benefit to the seller or is that not a benefit to the seller? And is the, is the seller going to say, yeah, you know what, let me expose like a live auction. Everybody's going to know what everyone's bidding. Now, where does this stop? So you go $100 more than the last bid. The only difference that's going to come into play here is the seller is going to make that decision if they want to expose that. And I don't know if it's going to be one of those situations where the seller decides, well, I'm going to start with blind bidding. I'm going to see what all the offers are. And then I'm going to let people know what the offers are after the fact. So really, I don't know if it's going to accomplish what the government is trying to do here. Because ultimately, the buyer still will make the decision to pay what they wish to pay, whether or not they know. Because there is an element of impulsiveness when you know what the other bid is. And the thoughtfulness that is behind blind bidding will be taken away. Because if everybody knows the egos start coming into play and the win wants to come into play, I wanna, I wanna win this offer. So what am I gonna do if I see that someone's offered 800,000, I'll offer 805,000. Then it goes to 810. And where does that really end? As opposed to the blind bidding where there's a thought process, you submit an offer at the price that you want. Yeah, maybe you'll get a second chance to improve your offer but you don't really know what the other offers are. So you know where your walkaway price is going to be. My guest this hour on Ask the Experts, Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty, Canada's number one real estate agent. Find out more online at homeshack.com or give them a call at 519-624-5555. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. I'm Dave Callender and Faisal Suziwala is my guest. Faisal is Canada's top real estate agent and also a noted author, author of the book, The Real Deal, billion dollar real estate broker available on Amazon. You can get in touch with him at 519-624-5555 or learn more on his website at homeshack.com. So with all that has been going on, uh, what is your advice then Faisal to buyers and both sellers? What, what should they be doing now? Well, first of all, to buyers, you know, this is an opportunity where the inventory levels have started increasing. The number of days that a home is on the market has also increased. So you can really take a thoughtful process to making those offers right now. Really look at what's out there. Be a little bit more particular about what you're looking for and don't settle for as much as you did before. Because, you know, when we were in this frenzy and when the market was just insane, buyers were paying ridiculous amounts of money just for the opportunity to buy the home that is on the market at that given time. Today, that's not needed. There's a fair amount of inventory. Now, the good 
homes, the ones that are good quality and they're 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 well maintained, and the things that um, that they've good locations, those homes are still getting bids. We're still getting multiple offers, so it's not that the blind sorry, or that the bidding has stopped completely. <clears throat> We're just not seeing as many offers. And again, we talked earlier about why commuters have stopped coming in from the GTA. So if you're a local buyer. This is going to be an opportunity for you to enter because the commuter audience is now really calculating their costs. They're saying, well, if gas prices are up, you know, 30% or 40%, maybe we don't want to be in Cambridge. Maybe we want to be in Brampton. So that's going to open the door up essentially for any buyers trying to enter the market. And there is a cost savings, especially on that seven dollars to $900,000 price point, we're seeing anywhere from three, five, 10% uh, decrease in those prices, not really from the asking price, but from what the over ask was. So we're not seeing as high. We're also not seeing a lot of the higher end homes selling right now that we're selling at a, at a, at a huge value. So remember when um, you look at the headlines and you see, oh, the average price of a home is down 10%. You gotta remember, a lot of that was contributed by the higher end pricing. So when you know you've got 1.7, 1.8, 2.2 million dollar homes averaged into the seven and eight hundred thousand dollar homes, the average was a lot higher up to February than it is right now. So we're seeing more of the affordable homes coming off of the market than some of the higher end ones. So as a buyer, you can really take a focused approach, really take a thoughtful approach. Look at it, take some time, do the inspection, do the things that you need to do, and don't get into that impulsiveness that you had to engage in prior to uh, the market settling down. Now, as far as sellers are concerned, often, and I think for probably the last six or eight months that, I, that I've been on your show, Dave, I've said, you know, buyers are going to pay for the opportunity to buy your home, so you don't have to do, do a whole lot. Well, we've got to pivot from that mindset now and say, if you want your home to stand out, if you want your home to be uh, realized and for people to give it some consideration, now is the time that you have to do those outstanding things like the last fresh coat of painting, the landscaping, the decorating, fixing anything that you know has been declining in maintenance. So those are all the things that need to be addressed prior to putting your home on the market, because it's not as easy as it was, you know, three or four months ago. And, and from an agent's perspective, we have to advise the sellers to now shift their mindset to that so that they're going to realize the higher pricing. Otherwise, they're going to get punished severely for putting a home on the market that isn't quite ready to hit the market. And again, with increased inventory, you've got to do something that outshines your competitors. Given that sellers have to shift gears now, where are they going to see the best bang for their buck? What are the things they should be concentrating on if they're doing some renovations before selling? Well, things like, you know, updating those bathrooms, updating the kitchen, painting, decluttering, not just putting the home on the market the way it is, because we were getting away with that for a long, long time. And rightfully so because there was just no need to do anything why would the seller spend that extra money all that extra effort why not save that money for the next home because the next home chances are would need those updates as well but we are again pivoting back into 
a zone where you've got to go that extra little bit, get that flooring done, get the paint colors done, get the touch-ups done, change out the windows that are not uh, up to date, you know, just doing those updates, the furnace, the air conditioning. So this is the time um, if you're able to get those things done, because that will make a difference on the resale value of your home. Faisal, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts, uh, perhaps the forecast of what you think is going to happen in the next six to nine months, given that you already mentioned a lot of the media is now doing a doom and gloom story that, you know, that values are going to go down by as much as 25%. What would you say to a buyer who, who says to you, I'm going to sit, I'm, I'm just going to sit out right now and see how low things go. You know, it's, it's very difficult to time the market. If you're a flipper, you know, you're buying and selling on a regular basis, you know, you've got to try to do that. But look, if the opportunity is there right now for you to buy the home that you want, don't sit there saying, well, I'm going to wait because look, it's a five, seven, 10 year plan. So over the long term, your home value is going to appreciate. And let's look at the fundamentals here. The market requires and needs more homes. There are just not enough homes on the market. Immigration is at half a million people coming into the country every year. Well, half a million coming into Ontario every year. There's a half a million home shortage in Ontario. So if you're thinking, oh, there's going to be uh, this big dip in the market and I'm going to buy a home for 30 or 40% less, I'm not sure what the political agenda is in speaking of a declining market. Maybe it's just to rein things in and slow down this frenzy that we've been in. And look, maybe that's the right approach. To, but fear mongering is really not the answer. And I'm not sure that anyone is doing themselves any favor by sitting on the sidelines. Yes, maybe you'll get a five, seven, 10% saving over the year. And I do expect that the market will flatten out, but I do not expect a decline to happen. Remember, January, February, we increased 10 to 12%. So if we went back 10 to 12%, so what? We're still higher than what we were last year. And don't forget this, the interest rates right now are still lower than pre-pandemic. And we were in a boom pre-pandemic. And if you go back and, you know, in the infinite wisdom of the banks and the government, they said that the market was going to decline 25% back in March of 2020. That's the statement that came out. Guess what? We're up 62% since March of 2020 to today. So if we're down 10%, is that really a big deal? So yes, the naysayers are holding on to that and saying, well, look, hey, we told you so we're in a bubble. It's not a bubble when you're still up 50%. Oh, absolutely. Uh, speaking of interest rates, then, if I ask for your crystal ball uh, to tell me what's going to happen, do you think we'll see any more increases in interest rates this year? I expect there's going to be probably another half percent by the end of the year, maybe three quarter percent more. But again, you look at the buying power that we have today at the interest rates that we have today. I remember 13, 14, 20% interest rates in my career. So when we're looking at three and a half, four percent interest rates, it's still extremely low compared to what it used to be. Yes, we're battling inflation right now, but you got to think about why is there inflation right now? Inflation is a result of a lot of things that are happening in the world. Fuel costs, for one, when, when, when a container coming from, you know, the Far East we used to be four or $5,000 for a container. Now it's $20,000 for that container. Material costs have gone up three, four times. So 
as a buyer, you got to think about this. If you're waiting for the market to crash and we have a we have a lull in the market, we don't have inventory in the market, we don't have enough housing in the market, a builder today cannot build a home at a cost less than what it was two years ago. So if you think it's going to go back down to two years ago, because the, the price of lumber has gone up so much, the price of land has gone up so much, there's a shortage of land, a builder is not going to build a house at a loss. So you're going to still see the cost being probably around $250 to $300 a square foot for construction today. My guest is Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty, Canada's top real estate agent. If you'd like to get in touch with Faisal, pick up the phone and dial 519-624-5555 or go online for more information at homeshack.com. Thanks for joining us today on Ask the Experts. Always happy to welcome back Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty online at homeshack.com. We'll give him a call at 519-624-5555. Amongst uh, the news that's been floating around is this new affordable housing mandate. And a lot of people are asking the question, how's it going to help and, and is it going to help? I, I believe it's going to help. The intention is great. The housing plan is great, but I don't think the execution of that plan is great. So we still, that plan came out in 2019. You know, we're almost three years into that plan right now, and we've continued seeing a crisis. We haven't seen the action behind that plan. And a lot of it is because of affordability of materials. And we were talking about that just before the break that, you know, a builder cannot construct um, a dwelling today for less than they could have two years ago. In fact, it's triple or quadruple what the valuation was for a, a piece of plywood is hitting what, $9, $10, sorry, uh, a two by four is hitting nine or $10. Plywood is hitting 85 to $90 a sheet. It used to be a third of that. So when you look at the cost, how can we create affordable housing when your material cost is triple or quadruple what it used to be? So I, I still don't understand how they're going to execute and implement this affordable housing plan. Are they buying down the material costs? Okay, maybe they can, the, the government owns a, a lot of excess land, which they may gear towards affordable housing, but the material for that for that construction is still at, at, at a record, record highs. The other problem is that we live in a society of NIMBYs, not in my backyard. And that's the challenge that we're going to have. Every time a development is proposed in any subdivision, you have neighbors and community groups and, and heritage people coming out and saying, oh, I don't want this in my backyard. You know, you can't be building a five-story building in my backyard, or I don't want semis going into a single-family neighborhood. City of Waterloo uh, proposed the other day uh, something like they need 24 or 2,500 homes. But when you look at what the City of Waterloo comprises of, it's mostly single detached family homes, not multi-residential multi stacks, that type of thing. It just hasn't been there. So the mindset of those communities and those neighborhoods have to change to allow higher density development. And if you can't get that passed at the municipal level, at the local government level, it doesn't matter what the province is saying. It's got to start at the root level here. Now, there are 
vehicles in place where if the municipality says no, then you've got to go to the government of Ontario and, you know, they've, they've got to then mandate it. The minister's order has to come into play. These are all things that, you know, become so difficult for a developer to navigate that they'd rather just stay away from that type of thing. So there's going to be that challenge ongoing. I'm seeing some progress in local municipalities, especially in Cambridge and Kitchener, where you're seeing the higher density developments, you're seeing some zone changes, but it's always faced with so much resistance. So unless we have a better plan and a more efficient way of getting things through the municipality, I know there's money being thrown at the municipalities to, to expedite applications and all that, but my goodness, I haven't experienced that in the last two years. Try getting a return phone call or an approval on a permit. It takes weeks upon weeks before you even get an answer. So nothing is running smoothly. And I'm not sure why, but that where the changes have to start. We also have to realize there's a 1.5 million home shortage across Canada. There's a half a million home shortage in Ontario. And when I say in Ontario, it's in the Golden Horseshoe, which our region is a part of. There's half a million new immigrants coming into Ontario every year. Where are these folks going to live? And how are we gonna prov provide affordable housing for the folks that are already living in this country? It's going to be a big, big challenge. And honestly, I haven't heard an answer from anyone. It's election time. Po politicians are coming out and talking about all these things. And they're talking about great ideas, but I don't hear what their solutions are behind it. Now, I, this next question, I'm just doing off the top of my head because I can't remember the exact numbers. Please correct me if, if I'm wrong. But in the most recent proposals put forth by the government, they said that they were going to... Uh, essentially cough up a chunk of change to fast track about 6,000 new affordable homes. Is that correct? And, and do you see that helping at all? You know, Dave, I've heard so many numbers being thrown at us. I've heard about the fast tracking of the affordable housing yet. And the number does sound correct to me. I just don't know how, where, and when, you know, so, and, and how is that going to get pushed through the municipalities? They're also talking about throwing a bunch of money at the municipalities so that they can expedite these applications and permits. But then if you look at it on the flip side, the regional levies, the development charges, um, the cost of permits, it's so prohibitive that a developer has to think twice before even applying for a permit because the costs are so high. So are they going to you know, claw back on those development charges? Are they going to subsidize those development charges? Are they going to create a situation where they perhaps give more units per acreage so that a certain percentage of those developments will be geared towards affordable housing? Because the developer is saying, look, I need to build 40 units on one acre in order for my project to be viable. And then if the government comes in and says, well, 30% of those 40 units needs to be affordable housing, the developer is saying, well, then I can't make my project viable. So wouldn't it be better to give them 50 units or 60 units instead of 40, the approval, and allow those 15 or 20 units to be geared towards affordable housing? That would be my solution. So what is the uh, status at the moment of new home construction in, in KW? Well, there, there are permits that are being taken out. There, there, there are developments that are occurring. There are condominiums that are going on. But, you know, builders and developers are also charging future value. They're not charging, you know, in the old days, pre-pandemic, a builder would 
provide, uh, you know, 30 units of townhomes coming on the market. And those 30 units would be listed essentially at the same price of a resale townhome. So a buyer would say, hey, that's not bad. Instead of me buying a resale townhome, I'll go and buy a new townhome. Yes, I'll have to wait a year, but in a year, chances are the prices will go up on that and I'll be able to finish purchasing that property with a little bit of equity. Today, Builders have smartened up and I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing these builders, but I'm saying they've smartened up in the sense they're saying, well, look, we don't know what our costs are going to be in a year from now material. And look, it's happened. Costs have gone up 30, 40, 50, 60%. So the builders are saying, we got to build in all of that. So instead of selling at today's value, they're selling at future value, anticipating that the value of that townhome or that condo is going to be $600 a foot, 11, well, condos, $1,100, $1,200 a foot. Those are ridiculous prices. When you look at, in comparison to Mississauga, it's $1,400, $1,500 a foot there. In Waterloo, we're at $1,200, $1,300 a foot for new construction that's not built yet, that will be built in two to three years. So they're charging future value on that. So I still don't see where the affordability is coming into play here. Uh, let's switch over then to the rental market. I've been hearing tell that people are... Uh... You know, they can't afford a home, but they certainly can't afford an apartment either. Trying to find an apartment for under $2,000 now is a real, a real challenge. And, and, you know, it's a vicious cycle, right? If people stop buying homes, they still got to live somewhere. So they're going to rent homes. They're going to rent homes. They're creating this huge income source for investors. And those investors are charging excruciating rents for those units that they have because again there's a shortage of affordable housing on the rental side rental market has gone up 32 percent in the last year so you know you, when you're looking at what the rent average rent is for a townhouse is 25 2600 a month you could take that same payment and still be able to buy a home with that payment but because the inventory wasn't there people were forced to rent now the shift is well i'm going to wait and rent for a year until the market calms down. But what if the market doesn't calm down? How are you ever going to re-enter into the marketplace? That's why these 5%, 10% dips, that's fine. It's like timing the stock market. You never know, but if you're in it for the long-term, you can't go wrong. And then just going back to something we've talked about on past shows, and it's, I, I wanna bring it up again, cause I'm kind of in love with the idea of the, the little home movement, the tiny house movement, and the fact that you can you can theoretically build one of these on on extra land you have in your backyard are more people taking advantage of that they're starting to but it, you know there are not that many providers out there that are offering those options i just learned of a company recently that has just started uh, and they're going to be offering tiny homes starting at 550 square feet at 249,900 which is great and they've got this great plan about how they can extract the equity from your existing home so let's say you have a home that's worth $900,000 and your mortgage is 450,000 on it you could essentially take that 250,000 dollars out of your equity Equity in your existing home, pay this company $250,000 to put a 550 square foot one bedroom tiny home in your backyard, and you're essentially going to get $1,700 or $1,800 a month rental income as a turnkey solution. So companies like that are going to thrive when this type of 
um, Act is implemented, especially right now it's in Kitchener. I know Cambridge is still working on it. I'm not sure where Waterloo is on it, but um, I think that tiny home movement is going to be the right way to go to create that affordable rental market for sure. It's going to be a great income stream for people that own homes. And you should know that if that tiny home can be one of three units on that one property. So as long as you have 4,000 square feet, you, I think you can go up to 780 square feet, uh, separate dwelling, but you can also have a secondary dwelling within your home. So you can have a basement apartment. Of course, you got to get all that passed legally for fire escapes and whatnot, but you can have a basement apartment or a second floor apartment in your existing home, plus a third unit, which would be the tiny home, which is a separate dwelling. And finally, before we go to break, are there still any any bargains out there for new new buyers? Is there anything that you'd recommend people look at that uh, just hasn't shown as much demand? Yes, you know, the duplexes, duplexes, triplexes, multi-residential, a lot of them, they're, they're the older homes that have been converted where you've got, you know, a one bedroom on the main floor and perhaps a two bedroom on the second floor. Those are fantastic opportunities to enter the market. And even if it's not the home that you dreamt of buying and living in and raising your family in, at least it gets you in the door. And look at it this way. When you have outgrown that property, you can keep that property as a rental property, rent out the two units, take the equity out of that home and go and buy the home that you really wanted to buy. But it's a great opportunity to get into that market because that market is still depressed. We're still not seeing that, that price point accelerate the way some of the other price points have. So again, it's about taking a step back in order to get advanced. And that's where I would suggest to anybody younger starting out right now, get yourself into a duplex or a triplex, rent out a couple of units, get some income to help support the mortgage payment. And you can use that income to service your debt so they can use that income. And it's not just your personal income that they're using. My guest this hour on Ask the Experts for speaking with Canada's top real estate agent, Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. Give him a call at 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com. Thanks for joining us today on Ask the Experts. Back with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty, Canada's top real estate agent. Online at homeshack.com or call him at 519 519- 624-5555. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what what's going on for, for foreign buyers right now, namely the foreign buyers tax uh, that's coming into, coming into effect. How is that going to impact the market? So the foreign buyers tax was at 15%. It's being increased to 20%. It really didn't impact the market because there was an abundance of buyers within Canada, Ontario, that we're buying. So it, it, it didn't have a negative impact on us. It had maybe a negative impact on the foreign buyers. But foreign buyers still find uh, Canada to be a very affordable place to invest their money. If you look at it globally and internationally, um, places like Hong Kong, Singapore, they are so, so expensive. New York, it's so expensive. Uh, Los Angeles. So when you look at the city centers of the, the the big big countries, you will still see that um, Toronto and vicinity is still very affordable. So paying a 10%, 15%, or 20%, which will, will be surcharge to buy, 
uh, it's not really that big of a deal, especially to the, the, the demographic of buyers that are coming into the country with that kind of money. We also have to look at, and one of the other reasons that I should say, Canada has always been a very safe place for people to have their money. So, you know, you're like places like um, communist countries or countries like India, for example, where the currency is not as stable or things can happen uh, through government intervention. Uh, those folks are saying, yeah, you know, we get great returns on our money in India or, or in the Middle East or in China, but we always have that fear of what the government intervention will be. So they look at Canada as a safe haven to have their money, and they're not so worried about the growth as much as they are about the protection of their money. So that's one of the reasons that taking a 15 or 20% hit on their investment, it's not really deterring them from investing here. What is going to be interesting is that Canada is banning foreign investors from buying in Canada for the next two years. That will be interesting because now that's going to stop and there's nothing wrong with it. I think I, I actually encourage that from happening because that will give more opportunity to local buyers to get in because there were subdivisions in, in Toronto and in Markham and that were owned by investors that people were not even living in these homes, but it was just a shelter for their money. So that will eliminate that from happening. And I don't know what they're doing about those homes, if they're taxing them at a higher rate because they're not being rented out. But there has to be some more um, action taken by the government like this to make sure that there's enough housing for the residents of Canada. But don't forget that does not apply to immigrants. And we do have half a million immigrants coming in to Ontario over the next year. Those folks are able to purchase a home because they're considered landed immigrant. They're not foreign buyers. They are going to be residents of Canada. And they, they get the same privileges that you and I will have to purchase a home. So those folks are also coming in with an abundance of cash. These are not refugees that are coming in looking for housing or looking for support. These are folks that are coming in with money. And that has been the catalyst over the last two years in creating this housing crisis that we have with pricing because people are coming in seeing affordability, especially in the suburbs and saying, this is still cheap compared to what we were paying in other areas of Ontario. Given your background, of course, it's no surprise that uh, clients come to you asking, you know, the common questions like as a seller, when should I put my house on the market? And then as a buyer, should I wait? Should I jump in now? What is it going to take for the market to to settle down in KW and indeed across Canada? So as we said earlier, the the buyers have a have a window right now. And remember, Let's hope that this Russia-Ukraine situation calms down sooner than later, because that will have a direct impact on fuel costs. That will have a direct impact on inflation. And if it's just interest rates we're dealing with, I believe that by the end of this year, we're going to see, look, I still expect the prices to increase by the end of the year, perhaps not another 10 or 15%, but probably by another two or 3%. So we're still going to be ahead of where we were last year. So anybody that's thinking that we're going to be 20 or 30% below where we were last year, which is what the media would make you believe in some instances, I'm going to argue that that can't happen because there's just too much 
demand and not enough supply in the marketplace. When gas prices start going back down, and people see, and that will happen when uh, this 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 uncertainty uh, dissipates with Russia and Ukraine. We're going to see gas prices coming down, which will then bring our commuters back into the city. So, as a buyer, you're probably better to buy in anticipation of that happening, probably in the next four to six months. So, the next four to six month window is going to be an ideal time for buyers to be entering the market. From a seller's perspective. It's not going to be a great time, but it's all relative. If you're going to sell at 5% less than what you were expecting and you're turning around and buying again, you're going to buy for 5% low. So it's always relative. It's only going to hurt those that are cashing out and not buying again. So I would, and I still would not suggest to a homeowner, just sell your house right now. And unless you're in a, in a, in a, in a position where you can use that money to invest it somewhere else, I wouldn't say take your money totally out of the real estate market. At least have a hedge in the market, whether it's rental properties or your personal residence, and don't completely cash out of the real estate market thinking there's going to be a crash, because I think that's the wrong move. And over time, real estate always appreciates. And finally, with uh, you know a couple minutes left in the show, as we usually do, I want to talk about the book. And you were you were very very glad, uh, very happy to provide me with a a copy of it, which I appreciate. It's called The Real Deal: Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. And you kind of released it just as we were going into the pandemic around that time. What what made you decide to suddenly become an author? Well, I'll tell you, it, so I released it in September of 2020. Uh, I started working on this book five years prior to that, but I never had the opportunity to sort of sit down and put all my thoughts in a chronological order. And the reason I wrote that book, first of all, was sort of to give my children a little bit of a diary because I don't really sit them down and tell them, well, this, this is my journey and this is what I've done. So I want to give them something to sort of read about, hey, what's dad, what's dad all about? But I also want to inspire people. I've had a lot of young people approach me because I had started in this business at the age of 18, right in high school. And a lot of young people have approached me over the years and said, you know, you did it. My parents are making me go to university. They want me to get a degree. They want me to become a lawyer or a doctor. You never did anything of those things. So I want to talk about the, the challenges and the trials that I went through and the, and, and the issues that I faced as a young person who didn't go to university, um, who faced a lot of adversity, who faced uh, bankruptcy. And I want to share that story. But I also wanted to inspire young people to look at the alternatives. There's not a box that you have to fit into. Um, secondly, I wanted to um, share a lot of my business strategies with my colleagues because I'm often asked, you know, your success, what is it based on? How do you, how do you do what you do? How have you designed your, your business? So I want to talk a little bit about that. So, you know, a couple of chapters have been dedicated to that. And lastly, um, over the years, I've been very fortunate to uh, build some wealth within the real estate industry using real estate as my wealth builder. And I want to share some strategies on how anybody who started at zero basically can use equity from their home and start investing slowly, start putting groups together, multi-level 
investing with partners, with friends, with family, just to start building that portfolio up. Because if we look at it from a long-term perspective, just earning a paycheck and living off of that paycheck will not create any sort of wealth. So there has to be different ways. And there, look, there's, there's the stock market, there's other ways of investing, but real estate has been my way of building wealth. And I want to share that strategy with a lot of my investors and mostly with a lot of my clients who would often ask me. So I thought I'll put it all into a nice concise book and it's all there for anyone who wants to read it and learn a little bit about how I've been able to achieve what I've done. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, again, it's called The Real Deal. You have your choice of uh, picking it up in print at Amazon and or, or if you prefer listening to audiobooks on your commute, I, I love doing that. It's available as an audiobook as well. Faisal, thank you so much for being on the show once again. Always a pleasure, David. Thank you for having me on. If you still have questions for Faisal Suzuwala of Remax Twin City Realty, get them answered. Give him a call at 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com.